Let's pray and we're going to jump into this morning's word. Father, we love you. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that is able to bring this word alive in us. And I pray your anointing on it, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive because Father, this morning, I believe you have a very powerful, important word for us, Lord. So may we open our ears to hear it. I pray, Father, against anything that would distract us this morning because the enemy would love nothing more than to distract us from what you're saying. So we pray against those things and we ask you, Lord God, to help all of us to be attentive to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we learned about what is the first calling that we have on our lives. The first calling that we have on our lives is just to be loved. It's not to go out and do anything. It's just to be the son or the daughter of God. And man, that is a, that is, let me, let me just say this. Whenever I married my wife, and I always say this, I married up. I'm just telling you, I married up. Pastor Rick and I have talked about this many times. We both married up. I, I think most of our guys married up, amen, because I know most of you personally. However, whenever you became a Christian, whenever you had that John chapter 3 experience and you became born again, became born again, I tell you, you went up, you went up to a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Now, this morning, we're going to jump into the second of our callings, and that calling, because we, we, we're called to be loved, but we're also called to belong, to belong. God doesn't intend for us to go through life all by ourselves. You've been called not just to be loved, but you've called to belong, to belong to God's family, to belong to his church. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it says, God is the one who made all things, and all things are for his glory. He wanted to have many children to share his glory. The second purpose for our life this morning is God has formed me to be part of his family He's, God formed me to, uh, for, for his family, and if God hadn't wanted a family, you and I would not exist this morning, wouldn't even be on the face of the earth. But God made us because he loves us, he loves you and me, he wants you to love him back, and he wants us to be part of this amazing family that he's got. How many of you all know that God's family is a really big one? Amen? Did you learn that from that song that they sang a few years ago? A big, big house, lots and lots of rooms. Big, big. Okay, well, some of you heard it, some of you didn't, but uh, God's family is a big family, and He wants us to be part of it. So the first purpose of God for my life is that He that He wants to love on us. The second purpose is He wants us to belong to belong to His family. God formed me to be a part of his family. Back in the day before you were even in your mother's womb, the desire of God's heart was for you to be part of his family. In Ephesians 1, verse number five, it says his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So God's, God's family is called his church. And there's a lot of confusion sometimes, I believe, that revolves around that whole statement right there. God's family is his church. Now, as we go through this study, I'm going to focus on a couple of things that are misconceptions about his church. But God has called us to his church. In 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, it says, I am writing to you so you will know how to live in the family of God. That, that family is the church of the living God, the support and foundation of the truth. That's what God calls his family, the church. He calls his family the church, and many times we call it the church of Jesus Christ. And you and I are called. I have been called to belong to his church. I've heard many people tell me, well, I'm just a lone ranger. I'm a lone wolf. I like to be out there by myself. I don't participate in uh, organized religion, so on and so forth. Hey, folks, I got to tell you that that is counter the word of God. He wants us to belong to his church. 
Ephesians 2.19 says this, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. This second calling that we're talking about, this second purpose, this second reason, this second mission for our life is to belong to His family. It's first to know that He loves us, He loves us dearly, but the second part is He wants us to be part of His family. In Romans 1.6, it says, You are among those who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. So over and over and over, the Bible tells us that we've been called, that this is our calling to belong to His church, to belong to the people of His church. The word for church here in the Bible is a Greek word, ecclesia, and it comes from the word kaleo, which means to be called called. So ecclesia means to be called out. Called out. Oops, man, I got to have that one back. It means to be called out. So the word, the, the word church literally means a group of people that are called by God, called out by God, called out from the world that you and I live in, called out to be separate, to be his special family. Christianity is based on the word of God and God's word says that the church is called, it's called out. In other words, the church isn't an event because that's oftentimes what we think it is, an event. I went to church today, hallelujah. It's not an event. The church isn't a program. The church is not a building. Man, we get this confused a lot of times. If you go into the sanctuary at the church, Take your hat off, your shoes off, because this is holy ground. How many of you all know that this is not holy ground? Come on, this is just a building, folks. That's all it is. It's just a building like any other building. But yet we, whenever we come into it, we use it for a different purpose. Amen? I'm just saying, it's not a building. The church is not a building. If you ask most people what they think church is, most of them will say, well, it's that building over there on the corner. Or they think it's something that you're going to. I'm going to church. Church is not something that you go, go to. It's something that you belong to. Amen? Folks, I want to tell you that my life is just as connected to you as the body of believers called Trinity Church. It is just as is connected to you as it is to people in Africa that are part of the body of Christ. Amen? Men and women that I've never met, but today they're going to be fellowshipping and loving on the Lord in their, in their way, in their language. My life is just as connected to them as it is to you because I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm part of the global body of Christ. It's much bigger than this building. It's much bigger than a place or an activity or an event. We've been called to belong to the church. Church is not a location, it is a relationship. I belong to the church. I have a relationship with other fellow believers. We worship here, we have a place here, but the church is the people of God. It's our relationship with one another, the body of Christ. And so I'm going to share with you five benefits to belonging. Folks, I don't know about y'all, but I look for benefits in life, amen? Amen. I look for benefits. I want benefits. And so this morning, I'm going to be reading through five benefits that I believe are imperative that we get a hold of because if anybody ought to have Christ, uh, benefits, it should be Christians. Amen? Okay, let me just, I'll say it like I want to say it. If anybody ought to have benefits, it should be me. <laughs> okay, never mind. That doesn't fly. What about me? All of us are believers. And we got to take advantage of these believers. So this morning, I'm going to give you five metaphors for the church. The church is called a family. It's called a temple. It's called a body. It's called a flock. And it's also called a garden. And each one of these, I really believe, has some real uh, profound implications as we study them to our lives. You see, if you understand the five meanings of these, uh, the, 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 the meanings of these five metaphors, whenever you understand how the church was designed to be by God, God's family was designed, it's to meet you and I's deepest needs. Folks, there is nothing that the church of Jesus Christ should not be able to do for you. Every need that you have, 
every need should be answered by the church of Jesus Christ. God created this entire universe because he wanted to have a family. And God doesn't just want his children to be orphans. He doesn't want us to go through life by ourselves. He doesn't want us to be uh, street kids. He wants us to be in a family. And that family is called the church. So in every healthy family, one of the things that you are taught from the beginning of your life is who you are. My kids, uh, growing up, their last name was Watson, and we had a, a hunting and fishing store in Montana that they frequented often to go in and dream about all the things that they were going to buy in there. And one of, the man, one of the men that worked there, he called them the Watsonoids. Oh, there's the Watsonoids again. They're coming to the store. The Watsonoids. He even moved away from town, and we seen him a couple of years later, and he still came up to our table and said, hey, the Watsonoids. <laughs> they knew who they were. They, were. they were identified as Watsons. I mean, folks, we are identified by a whole lot of things. Sometimes we're identified by the brands that we have on our clothes, our shoes, or I don't know what. A, man, I get my jeans from Walmart, you know, so it's not like a big deal. Why do we have those brand labels, things we buy, well, it's to belong. We have logos that identify, so on and so forth. But the reality is this, most of our identity comes through relationship. For good or bad, our identity comes through relationship. Growing up, I was identified by who my dad was most of the time. Oh, your dad's the cop that arrested my brother, sister's uncle's aunt, and I'm going to beat you up because your dad did that. I'm serious. It happened. I was identified because my dad was a cop. Oh, your dad arrested my dad. Your dad's a cop. That's who you are. So we are identified by relationship. And that could be good. It could be bad. If your relationships have have uh, pro- if your relationships are good, you probably have a good identity. If your relationships are bad, maybe uh, they identify you uh, in in a different sense. I mean, I'm identified by all different kinds of names. I'm a son. I'm a son of my mother, my father. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm a friend. I'm a pastor, and the list just keeps going on. If my connections are bad, they're broken, oftentimes our identity suffers. If you grew up in a home that poverty was constantly part of your home, your identity suffered for that. If you grew up in a home that that had uh, brokenness in it for one reason or another, if you grew up in a home that, that had sickness in it, your identity suffered because of those things. If you grew up in a home that was dysfunctional, If you grew up in a home where your father was non-existent, all of those things bear down on who you are, what your identity is. Sometimes we can uh, be identified by getting fired at our jobs. Um, We can be identified by losing a spouse, and the list goes on and on. And I could go for hours this morning talking about how our identity is, is, is sometimes shaped by the relationships that we have. But this morning, I want to just kind of skip right through that and go right to the good news because, because we, are, we are in God's family and we should have an identity. So Ephesians 2.19 says this, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. The family is important. How many of y'all know God's family is permanent, unlike families here on earth? God's family is going to last forever. Your physical family can fade away one of these days. I'm slowly but surely losing one, one, two, three people in my family as time goes on. I was going to put that, you know, I was a, a spouse, I was a husband, I was a father, I was a grandson, but unfortunately, I don't have any grandparents left. So I'm no longer a grandson. I'm just a son. My mother is the only living parent that I have, and one day uh, she will certainly pass away, and then I won't be able to identify myself as a son anymore. But if you are identified in God's family, understand this, it's permanent. 
it's forever. The world uses all kinds of superficial things to identify people. They'll, you know, they'll say, well, you're, you're short or you're tall or you're Southern or you have blonde hair or you're a Republican or no, you're a Democrat. But what matters most in your life is this. What is your spiritual identity? What's your spiritual identity? In Hebrews 2.11, it says, Jesus and the people... Jesus and the people he makes holy all belong to the same family. That is why he isn't ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. I am identified by being a part of the family of God. You ever have a brother and sister that you were ashamed of? Yes. I went over to my brother's house one time. I think it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. I've always been somebody that is an early riser. I like to get up early. I just get up early. And he was still in bed. And he didn't work three o'clocks or graveyards. He was still in bed. I just left the house and I just walked out into the street ashamed. That's my brother. I can't believe he's wasting his life in bed. Oh, I'm out of the camera. Some of you probably have had a brother or sister that might have been, you were maybe a little bit more ashamed of than I was. But I want you to think about this. Jesus is not ever ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. <laughs> I'm going to have to come down here and do it myself. Jesus is never, ever going to be ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. I want you to think about that. Amen. That's good, Pastor. That right there can set somebody to dancing. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ, you are identified by who you are in the kingdom of God. You are a brother and sister of Jesus, the King of kings, the risen Lord of glory. Hallelujah. Man, that's good word. Folks, in, in, in this world that we live in, so many times we're identified by our sins, the thing we've done wrong, the things where we've blown it, where we've gone amiss. But in the kingdom of God, we are not identified by our sins. You know why? Because God forgets about our sins. The file has been erased. Hallelujah. Woo! So by belonging to God's family, you discover your true identity. A lot of families, they have things like a, a coat of arms or some kind of symbol, some kind of family crest, so on and so forth. We live here where we have the Scottish thing every year. Those families are identified by, a, a, you know, plaid or something. I'm not sure because I'm not Irish. I'm just a mutt. Groups out there, they're going to have some kind of mark. Gangs oftentimes have similar tattoos so that whenever you see that tattoo, you know that they're part of a gang. Amen? Do you know what the mark or the symbol of being in God's family is? It's being baptized. And this is just a little plug for baptism because we're believing on the 22nd that we're going to be able to open this baptismal tank and baptize a few people. You see, being baptized is that public symbol that says, I'm not ashamed to say I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed to say I am, a, I am part of the family of God. You're advertising it to the world. Say if you got a tattoo that says that you're part of a gang, you know, like the Blue Gang. I've heard that's a really bad gang to belong to. But if, if you got that tattoo on you, people will know whenever you've been baptized, people are going to know because you're advertising it to the world. You may be standing in that baptismal tank thinking, man, I don't understand all of it, but I'm in in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. You need to see myself or Pastor Clinton, and we'll get you signed up. And on Sunday morning, the 22nd, when we come together for a celebration from this uh, 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 spiritual growth campaign, we're going to be baptizing some people. And everybody said, amen. amen. Baptism is that way where you say, man, I'm, I'm in. I'm in the family. It's kind of like I'm coming out of the closet kind of thing. 
Acts 2.41 says, those who believed what Peter said was baptized and added to the church about 3,000. So all of a sudden, Peter preached the first sermon in the book of Acts, first sermon of the church, and, and those that believed, they were baptized. The second metaphor is that the church is a temple. Church is a temple, like being built, like being erected for Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and His Spirit lives within you? I have always been fascinated by watching buildings been built. I can remember many times whenever I was in Houston at the medical center, I used to have to go visit the hospital and usually spent most of the day visiting people because there was a lot of people to visit. And in the medical center, there was always building taking place. They were always building some new building. And I used to find myself at the window watching these cranes and watching these men work. It was just fascinating to me to see the, the, the teamwork that was involved in building these towers for hospitals. I can remember whenever our family ministry center was being built. It took thousands of little pieces and parts to build it. Most important in the building of our family ministry center and building of any building is, is all the parts had to fit together. If there was a beam that had been cut from the factory and they raised it up, and if it was just one inch too short, just one inch, didn't seem like that much, but if it was one inch too short, that beam could not support anything. Whenever the plumbers were over there and they were plumbing and putting the pipes together, if a pipe was one inch too long, it would not fit together. You couldn't connect it. So to be strong and to be stable, everything in that family ministry center had to connect. All had to connect. That's why we have a family ministry center that we can work, we can work in and play in and do all the various things that God has given us that building for. If you were here whenever the family ministry was being built, though, I would tell you this, whenever you walked around inside of it, you know, just the shell, just steel or just the shell and steel and tin, whatever, one of the things that you would notice is there was a lot of parts laying around on the floor. There were parts scattered out all over the place, nuts and bolts and screws and all kinds of things. They were just laying all over the floor. You see, a piece of steel, a bolt or a nut, can be in the building, but not part of the building. Do y'all understand where I'm going with this? Like some Christians, they can be in the building, but not really part until they're connected. One of the things that used to frustrate my senior pastor in Winston-Salem was he always called it the back door. A large sanctuary is very difficult to know everybody that was there and so many times people would come into that church and they would be there for two or three or four weeks and we knew they were there and we were trying to, you know, make sure that they stayed and were a part of our family. But many times they never got connected. Does that make any sense? And so within just a matter of a few weeks, they're just out the back door, as our pastor used to say. It happens right here at Trinity Church. It happens to every church out there. And so I'm just saying this. You can be in a church, you can sit on any pew in this ministry, and you can, you can sit there and you can be part of our worship, you can be part of our celebration, part of the preaching of the Word, but until you become part, you're never going to be connected. So why did God choose a building as an illustration of what the church is supposed to be? Because it's a temple. Because a building, there's all of these connected parts that hold each other together. Many times in life, we come to places where we need other people to hold us together. Has anybody besides me ever been there? Anybody ever have that moment in your life where, man, you, you needed somebody else, amen? Whenever you were little and you failed, skint your knee all up, man, you're, mom, dad, help me, I'm bleeding, it's gusher. It's a, well, it's not bleeding, it's just skint, but... It looks like it could bleed any minute. You needed a parent. And the list just goes on and on about how individuals need other individuals. So God has developed this amazing thing called the temple, the temple of God being built together. And in this, I am part of that temple. 
I am supported by other people. I'm supported by others in the family of God. Like a strong structure of a building, we support each other. We hold one another up. In Ephesians 2, 21 and 22, it says, In Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. The point of this is in a building, a disconnected frame has no stability. In a building, if they hadn't put all the nuts and bolts and screws over there in all of that metal framing, it would have collapsed, amen? And in a church, it's the same way. If we don't become a connected body of believers, the church will collapse. There's absolutely no reason for it to exist outside of the people of God coming together as a temple. We weren't meant to go through life unsupported. We weren't li- uh, meant to go for, through life disconnected. We need each other. We need each other spiritually. We need each other emotionally. We need each other uh, to support us in all different ways. We need to have a place to belong. Now, I am a fan of Legos. I love Legos. Whenever I was growing up, I never had a set of Legos on my own. I always wanted my parents to buy me some, but... They were awful parents, (laughs) and I never got a set. I can remember going over to the home of three little girls that I kind of grew up with, and they had Legos, and the only reason I ever wanted to go over there was to play with their Legos because I couldn't stand those little girls. They were awful. They were brats. Their parents bought them Legos. Y'all know where I'm going with this? But whenever you get a hold of Legos, I got Legos now, man. Cody was only about three days old, and I bought him the biggest Lego set I could find. This is awesome. And then I played with it for about three years before he could ever even play with it because they had them little parts that I wouldn't choke on. But whenever you look at Legos, whenever you pick one of those little blocks up, you realize the ingenious inventor of Legos. He designed them. He created them for connection. You connect all of these Legos and you get something really cool. If you disconnect them, you just have a useless pile of Legos. In Romans 1.12, it says, I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me, and my faith will help you. So why is this important? Why is it so important that we've been woven into this temple, that we are the body, that that we are the people of God woven into this temple? It's so that we can have support. And you go, I I don't think I need it. I I will promise you this. If you belong to a body of Christ long enough, you will realize this. There's going to come a time where you need people in that body. Promise you that. You may be moving one day and you just realize there's three people in your church that has a pickup and all you have is a Volkswagen Beetle. See what I'm saying? You need those people. Pastor Rick and I used to be, I don't know, we were like two men with a truck, weren't we? Long before there was two men with a truck. I can remember one time some people we were moving, uh, they said they would be ready at like 8 o'clock in the morning. We arrived at their house. They weren't ready at 8 o'clock in the morning. There was still stuff everywhere. Nothing had been put in a box. And Pastor Rick said, watch this. And he went into the bed, kind of unfolded the sheet over the bed, and just took the drawers out of the dressers and just started dumping them in the sheets. And we just carried them out to the truck and threw them in the truck. They never asked us to move again, did they? Yeah, it's good. It's important. We need one another. We need the support from one another. It's important for us to have a a, a life that is stable. We've got this coronavirus going all over the world right now, but I will tell you that probably there is a greater epidemic that's taking place all over the world than even this coronavirus. I believe that it's killing tens of thousands of people. And it's called loneliness. 
loneliness. And a lot of times, whenever you think about loneliness, you think, well, you know, that's for elderly people and so on. I'm young. Whoa, I'm active. Whoa, I got 7,000 friends on Facebook. Ooh, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram and I, ooh, I'm popular. Do you realize that this epidemic doesn't just affect elderly and middle-aged and young adults, but it, affect, it affects everybody across the board? Seems like the more connections through technology that young people have, the more disconnected that they feel. We need one another in the flesh. We really do. We really do. I mean, I've, I've had it hesitated all through the journey of COVID with this church, even opening up the sanctuary for people to come and sit in it, you know, because we could still be having online churches, as many churches are. They're still doing online churches, and I'm not knocking them. But folks, there is nothing like it whenever the body of Christ comes together. I'm telling you, that's the power of these small groups. There's nothing like it whenever people get together and they can live life together. The third metaphor of the church is this. The Bible calls the church the body of Christ, which I can't hardly preach a sermon without talking about the body of Christ. I've already said it several times during this sermon accidentally. A body. We're, we're different parts, but we're all connected. We all complete each other, and we all function as a whole. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, uh, 12, 27 says this, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We find our spot, if you would, in the body of Christ. We find our niche in the body of Christ. We find out in the body of Christ that we actually matter. Because so many people out there that are lonely, it's because they feel like they don't matter to anybody. But in the body of Christ, you come in and you find your place, you find your uniqueness, and you find your shape, you find your talents, and then you begin to use them to bless other people. The church is where you find out how to use your spiritual gifts, the gifts that God has put in your, in your hands. In the body of Christ, we discover our unique value. In Romans 12, 4 and 5, it says, just as there are many parts to our body, so it is with, a body, with Christ's body. We are all parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete. For we each have different, different works to do, so we belong to each other, and each of us needs all others. Can I just make sure we all get this? We all are vitally important to the work that God has called us here on 6971 Georgia Road. All of us are. Every one of you has a part in it. Every one of you. There's not any of you that the Lord has brought into this ministry and said, I, I really don't have one thing for you to do. There's something for everyone. Right before this coronavirus broke out, we were moving into the team ministries and we were fixing to launch our team ministries and now we're coming back to that because we feel like we just need to go on with life. Amen? We're going to try our best to protect one another and, and not infect one another, but we're going to go on with life. And so these team ministries, there's a spot for every one of you in one of these team ministries. In fact, there's probably a spot for some of you in several of these team ministries. So I'm going to give you five truths just real quick about the body of Christ. First of all, there's many parts, all different, all unique. God designed us this way. I mean, think about this. What if God would only made two or three different kinds of people? Man, the world would be so boring. Amen? Let me just give you guys a chill up your spine. What if you'd only made one kind of person and they were just like me? <laughs> okay, never mind. I'm going on. I mean, all, we're all unique, man. We're all unique. God has taken my ministry all over the nation. I've had an opportunity to know so many people, and I have never found anybody that was just exactly like somebody else I used to know wasn't very long ago that my wife and I were in an airport, and we'd had a funeral just recently for one of the men in our church. And he was a beloved guy, and he just had this real specific look to himself. And so we were waiting on our next flight, and we were sitting there, and one of the golf carts went by that's, you know, taking people. And I said, look, Renee, Renee, right there, there he goes. We buried him a few weeks ago, remember? 
because he looked so similar. What do they call that? A doppelganger or something like that? You got somebody in the world that may look like you. Folks, they, they may look a little bit like you, but they aren't you. You're weirder than they are. Many parts, and everyone is needed. Every one of the parts are needed. To make the body complete, don't ever, ever say, I'm not important. Don't ever say that. Think about this. Have you ever put a jigsaw puzzle together and you came to the very last piece and it wasn't there? Yeah? You ever did that? That is so frustrating. Whenever you get to the end and you're looking for that one piece, I mean, you're missing that one piece. Which piece is it that you're looking for? Amen? It's that piece that's missing. And so often we think, I'm not important, I'm not important. I tell you, everyone is important. If you don't believe that, just, just come up after the service and just say, listen, I don't think my little finger's important. Would you cut it off? I've got some pruning shears. We'll take that dude right off of there. See, all of our stuff is important. The doctors used to tell us, well, this isn't important. We can take it out. That's not important. We can take it out. And all be if they haven't found out recently in medical science that God put everything in our bodies for a purpose. Now, we can live without some of it. Come on. But it's all important. Third thing is, we each have work to do. Every one of us has a role. Every one of us has a ministry to belong to. Number four, we belong to each other. My hand belongs to my foot. My foot belongs to my head. Are y'all there? My body, all the parts of my body belong to each other. We belong to one another. Number five, we all need each other. We all need each other. What good is the eyeball if it's detached from the body? I mean, the answer is simple. What good is the hand if it's detached from the body? I cannot fulfill God's purpose for my life by myself. I need to be part. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 15 and 16, it says, if your foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if your your ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm only the ear and not the eye, would that make it any less part of the body? Never confuse prominence with significance. There may be people that are on the platform every Sunday, but I promise you this, there are that every job in the church is significant. And I'll just tell you, you may never see our janitor. Our janitor has been part of uh, janitoring for 18 years. And most people don't even know who it is because he's faithful. He's faithful every Sunday, every Wednesday to come in and clean. There's been times whenever he's been snowed in that he's literally walked miles from his house to get here. And I'll promise you this, he's just as significant as I am. Listen to this. We have different roles. We have different roles Different prominence. I don't think Scott's ever been up on the platform singing or preaching, but we're trying to get him that way. If his football team wins today, he might be up here singing and shouting next Sunday. Ephesians 4.25 says this, in Christ's body, we are all connected to each other. A disconnected body dies. That's what happens to a disconnected body. The number four, fourth metaphor is this, we are a flock, and that is not a flock of geese. We're God's family, and we learn our identity. That's the first one. We're in God's temple, and we're supported by one another. We're Christ's body, so we discover our own unique value to the body. And we are also God's flock, and that means as a flock, we band together. In the hills of New Mexico, where I grew up, there was a lot of sheep ranching. And you never seen a sheep out there by itself on a, on a wind-driven, dry, dirt, hill. (laughs) And you said, look at that flock of sheep. You just say, that's a sheep. Sheep don't usually run by themselves. Something's something's wrong if there's only one sheep out there. He's been hit in the head by a rock and he's just confused. And sheep run together. And the reason they run together is because there's safety in numbers. Come on. Anybody watch the Discovery Channel like I do? Man, lions start messing with them buffaloes. Those buffalo all come in a herd and run them lions off. Are y'all there? 
There's safety in numbers. There's safety whenever you and I stick together. In Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, God made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Some of you probably think the sheep of his pasture. That doesn't sound real good. Pastor just described a dirty, old, wind-driven, dry hill that sheep live on. Some of you may not really understand how sheep are cared for. So I want to just do a little reading here. This is Psalm 23. It's out of the Living Bible. It says, Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He lets me rest in the meadow, in, in the meadow grass and leads me beside the quiet streams. He gives me new strength. He helps me do what honors him the most. Even when walking through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me, guarding me, guiding all the way. You provide delicious food for me in the presence of my enemies. You have welcomed me as your guest. Blessings overflow. Your goodness and unfailing kindness shall be with me all of my life. And afterwards, I will live with you forever in your home. Man, that's good. That's good. That's being really taken good care of as a sheep. <clears throat> Jesus said this in the New Testament in John chapter 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A hired hand runs away because he has nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and I, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one can ever snatch them out of my hand. Wow, that sounds way more appealing than the dry desert sheep in New Mexico. But you still kind of ask the question, well, God, why did you choose a flock? You know, a flock of sheep as an illustration. Because in a flock, I'm, I'm protected and I'm cared for. Just a question. Do any of you like to be cared for? Yeah. Whenever I was a children's pastor, I always used to meet the kids as they were get, being delivered to their parents to go home. And I'd say, listen, man, you go home, take care of your mom and dad, take their shoes off, give them a foot massage, get them a glass of tea, give them a back rub, take care of your parents. I hardly, yeah, amen, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Hardly ever had kids that did that. But I said it thousands of times. It was just my way of kind of checking the kids into their parents' hands. But every once in a while, I had parents that came back to church and said, man, hey, pastor, guess what I got last week? A foot massage. They rubbed my neck and shoulders, got me a glass of tea. Oh, it was good. I love to be taken care of. I like to be taken care of too. I like to be protected. And I'm not on my own. I believe that there's probably a lot of people in this sanctuary that feel the same way as I do. I, I'm glad that I have other people looking after me. Whenever I leave my house and if I know I'm going on vacation, I got neighbors. I got, I, I got neighbors that watch who goes up and down my driveway. And if it's somebody they don't know, they shoot them. <laughs> That's because I live on Skeener. I like to have other people looking after me. Amen? I like to have other people looking for my safety and my security. It makes me confident. It makes me less anxious about things. Whenever, whenever you're getting beat up in the business world, whenever your family uh, or your marriage is being strained or you're facing personal crisis or financial crisis, that's whenever this flock is so important to you. That's whenever the flock works. That's whenever they come around you and they take care of you. I can remember one time in particular, a small group that I was in charge of, they came, the leader came and said, oh man, I'm in real big trouble. I'm going to be in trouble with the senior pastor because we did something last night in small group. Oh, I just know I'm going to get in trouble. I said, oh man, what was it? You know, I'm thinking, man, they probably were smoking something they should have been or whatever. I didn't really think that. But he said, well, you know, we were praying for one another last night and, and you know, we were just going around the room and people were just kind of voicing, you know, their, their needs and, and what we were praying for. And one of the couples 
said, would you pray because we have a financial need? And, you know, by no means were they thinking this financial need was going to be met right then. But he said, I just felt like we needed to receive an offering for him and take care of that financial need. And he said, so we did. So I know I'm going to be in trouble because we didn't do it the way the church usually does it. And I said, no, you did it exactly the way the church should be doing it. Come on. Isn't it good to be part of that family, that flock? See, we need people who will step up for us. People will step up for us and go, hey, I'm, I'm with him. We need people that will go to bat for us. You see, people who walk into your life when everybody else walks out, that's the kind of people we need. And I, I can tell you this because, see, I've got a longtime friend in this church. I've known him and his family for a long time. And I'll tell you something, there's not anything that I would not for a minute, for one minute second, believe that Rick Ballou would not do for me. If I was in a bind and I gave him a call, he wouldn't say, sorry, can't help you because he's, he's part of my family. Amen? God's placed specific people in the church to take care of us. Two kinds of people that I want to just real briefly go over. First of all, your pastors look out for you. You know what the word pastor means? In the Greek, it means shepherd. We really are the under-shepherds of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 5, 2, it says, take care of God's flock, his people that you are responsible for. Watch over them because, because you want to, not because you're forced to do it. In Hebrews 13, 7, it says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they know they are accountable to God. Man, whenever I read that scripture, it kind of scares me because I'm the, I'm the under-shepherd of Jesus Christ to this flock of believers, and I am going to be held accountable for watching over your life. I'm to shepherd you, and I take, that, I take that responsibility very seriously. I'm to watch over you. I take that responsibility very seriously. I'll tell you something that's wrong in the modern-day church. Most congregations have a big group of people that don't want me shepherding their lives. Come on. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of shepherds out there that, that people don't want anything to do with them. Why? It's because we like to live our lives the way we like to live our lives. Amen? There's been many times when I've come to people who said, listen, man, you need, to, you need to stop that. You need to quit that. You need to start doing this. You need to do this. And people will not heed the advice that's given by a shepherd. But the only reason that I'm coming to you, I'm asking you, believing with you to do something or not do something, is so that your life will improve by it. There's a second group of people, and that's your small group. I just told you a testimony of how a small group looked out for them. 58 times in the Bible, there's this phrase, one another. Sheep should take care of one another. Sheep should care for other sheep, not just the shepherds. We should love one another, care for one another, help one another, encourage one another, support one another, pray for one another, love one another. And like I said earlier, we should greet one another, amen? That's biblical. 58 times we are to do these things. In Galatians 6, 2, it says, share each other's troubles and problems, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, it says, encourage each other and give each other's strength. So let me ask you this. Who's looking out for you? Whenever my wife and I got COVID recently, we were down. I tell you, I didn't want to cook. I didn't want to clean. I didn't want to do anything. And we were constantly getting phone calls from people in this body that were looking out for us. And they said, Pastor, can I bring lunch today? Can I bring supper today? Can I come over? I mean, they were willing to do anything. They would, they would just come over and just leave it on the porch. They wouldn't even come in the door because Renee and I were in there going, unclean, we're unclean. <laughs> it was awful. But I'm telling you, you realize who's in your corner. You realize who's looking for you, looking after you. The fifth thing is this, we're a garden. The fifth metaphor is that we are a garden. Specifically, we are a vineyard. This metaphor uh, that has to do with how 
being a part of the church family helps us grow and helps us to produce fruit like a garden, helps us to pr- produce fruit like a grapevine. In first John, it's first John, in John chapter 15, verses one and five, I'm just gonna read a part out of each one of them. It says, in verse number one, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener and you are the branches. I'm the true vine, Jesus was speaking. My father is the gardener and we are the branches. It gives our roles. The father is the gardener. He's the one that comes and fertilizes. He's the one that comes and prunes. He's the one that pours a lot of water on us. He's the gardener. Jesus is the vine. And you and I are the branches. Understand a grapevine goes up, the trunk of that vine. And out from it comes these small branches that on these small branches, grapes are produced. And I love grapes. In God's garden, if you and I are part of God's garden, our lives become productive. A lot of times whenever I greet little kids, I ask them, I say, well, where do you work? You know, they're five, six, eight years old. I go, I don't work anywhere. And I go, what? You're a drag on society. Oh, my goodness. Get a job. I'm just the pastor trying to talk to them. I've never had one that was eight get a job, but I'm still hoping for that time. See, folks, there's a lot of Christians that are a drag on the kingdom because they never find the place that God has for them. They never start producing. Can I just say this as a pastor? We've had a lot of people come and go in this church. And, man, I'm going to say this, yeah. Usually the people that we end up helping the most. Now listen to me. I don't begrudge helping anybody, but the people that we usually spend hours with, spend financial energy on, all of these ways we help them, usually end up leaving the church mad at us. And most of the reason why is they never give themselves. So if you're a person here in the church that I've never done anything for, that's because I'm trying to keep you. You see, whenever you're part of God's garden, you become productive. Your life becomes productive. I'm able to make a contribution, and that is the contribution that God intends me to make with my life. I become fruitful. I do something with my life because now I am connected to the vine, and there's life flowing through these vines and those branches, so I'm able to bear fruit. In John 15, 4 and 5, it says, a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful apart from me. I am the vine. You are the branches, though those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. A disconnected branch cannot bear fruit, just can't. I have to have that life flowing, uh, that, that life-giving energy flowing through me. If I'm disconnected, there's no way I'm ever going to bear fruit. I can cut off a branch of an apple tree and throw it on the ground, and never in a million years will it produce any apples. It only grows apples if it's connected from the tree. I'm going to close with this very quickly, but I want to give you five basic needs in your life. You have the need to know your identity, who I really am. You have the need to develop stability so you don't get blown away as, though, as, as by things that come up in your life. You need to increase your capacity. You need to have security in your life, and you need productivity in your life. All five of these things are going to be found in God's kingdom, God's family. God's, the body of Christ, all of those things are going to be fulfilled as you move through life in the family of God. In God's family is where I learn identity. In in Christ's body is where I discover my unique value or my capacity. In God's temple, I learn how to support one another and be supported by, by others. That's where I get my stability. In God's flock, I come together for protection. I come together for care. I come together for security. And in the garden, that's where I'm productive. That's fruitfulness. 
So let me say it another way. If you're in, in your life, if you really live the life that God made you to live, you need power to live on, you need people to live with, you need principles to live by, you need a plan to live out, and you need a purpose to live for. Jared, if you'll come this morning and help me close this. Nowhere in the world will you find these, will you find these five things except in God's plan. He uniquely planned all of this out. Some of you maybe for the first time are hearing these things. Some of you have heard them over and over through your Christian, your Christian life, but you were designed by God to be part of this family. And the only way that the deepest needs that humanity can have, only way they can be fulfilled is living in the body of Christ. So I've got a question, and it's an easy one. Why would anybody remain disconnected from the church? I mean, that's, that's a question. See, when I got born again, I just immediately got plugged into the church. I had a lot of old men come around my life and just start mentoring me. I started going on Saturday mornings to help with the men's breakfast, and I got connected with a whole bunch of insane people. And I thought, good grief, I fit right in. And I'll be honest with you, I've never been disconnected from the church. From the time I got born again, that was one thing that Carlsbad First Assembly was pretty good at, is getting you connected. Wasn't very long after I got born again that we met up with these two people, and we got our lives connected. We've never been disconnected from the body. But my question is this, why would anybody want to be disconnected? Why would they want to remain outside of this amazing plan that God has developed for you and I? Beats me. See, that's, this is the reason why we're doing a spiritual growth campaign. It's way bigger than just that banner. It's way bigger than just six sessions in your home and then we're going to have a, a celebration Sunday. It's way bigger than that. You see, my prayer for every person that's a part of a small group in this spiritual growth campaign, I pray you get connected. I, 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 I missed it, I guess, because I should have went to Pastor Clinton's group because if Daryl's making that cake, man, that is where I want to get connected. That cake sold for like $7,000 whenever we had our auction over there. Everybody wanted that cake. And then somebody dropped it on the ground, and there were people who ate it right off the ground. It was so good. <laughs> it was more than just Juliana. But my, my heartbeat for all of us in this room, everybody that's listening, everybody that would come to this ministry in the future, it's you need to be connected. You need to be connected because that's where life is. So this morning, it all kind of comes back to this. Will you be a part of this family, this family of God, because you belong in a family. You belong in a family. This family is open to anybody. I'm just saying, I'm saying to you, we at Trinity Church will be your family. Maybe all of your life you've been one of those people that just didn't fit in. You've tried to belong. You wore the right clothes. You've said the right things. You, but you just never really felt like you connected, that you just really never felt like you were accepted and belonged. You belong here. We have small groups just for weird uncles. I'm serious. We, we, every small group has somebody in it that's weird. Some of these small groups, because I've looked at the, the cast of characters, they've got a lot of people in them that's weird. It's only like one small group that's even close to being normal, Miss Nelda. 
only one, I won't mention any names, but the rest of them, I mean, Dan and Stephanie Garber have a group. And there's life in that group. There's life. And it's wonderful. You belong here. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of of your background, regardless of what you look like, it doesn't matter. We want you. This family is open to you. Will you be a part of our family? That's what I want to That's what I want to end with. Will you be a part of our family? It's not too late to become a member of a small group. We're believing God to fill these pews with groups. As we go on through this year and next year, we're believing God for just more and more groups that just meet on a consistent basis that just bring people into the family and show them how important they are and how that what they are created for can actually be fulfilled through that group. Father, we love you today. And I pray that there are people that are listening to this word that will get connected to your family, that they literally will fall in love with your church, Lord Jesus. Because through your church, I believe that's where the hope of the world comes from. It doesn't come from Washington, D.C. It comes from the church of the living God. It comes from your family, Lord Jesus. It's the only thing on earth that's going to last. And so we hold it up to you, God, and we ask you to help us to get as many people as we can into this amazing family that you've allowed us to be a part of. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, folks. I pray for your small groups this week as you meet all over the community. I hope you have an amazing time. Amen. God bless you.